uh, turn to Mark chapter 12, uh, Mark chapter 3 by now, and we're going to begin reading at uh, verse 20. Mark chapter 3, verse 20, this is what the Bible says. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Title of the message this morning is Facing Opposition and Condemning Blasphemy. Facing Opposition and Condemning Blasphemy. If you'd like to track along with the message as we go along, you can listen for these things. Opposed from all sides. Ten codes. A great speech. Billy Jack. The unpardonable sin. And putting minds at ease. Opposed from all sides. Ten codes. A great speech. Billy Jack the unpardonable sin, and putting minds at ease. Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord, thank you for the morning. And thank you again for what's already transpired. Thank you for the nine o'clock service. Thank you for what's happened here. It's so good to see one another again. It's good to shake hands and, and greet one another, encourage one another in the faith, welcome one another here. It's good to sing. It's so good to lift our voices in song. It's good to praise you with our voices. It's good to knit our hearts in prayer together.
And it's good to open this book, your living word, written word. And I pray your blessing upon right now. God, again, I pray that your spirit would move. Move in this room, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Boy, there are um, people everywhere. Uh, I think of Matthew away. Seth, not here. Uh, others vacationing. Bless them wherever they are. Thank you for your omnipresence. You can be here and yet you can be with them as well. Thank you for that. I pray for your blessing upon what's happening in uh, children's church. Thank you for those who are handling that. Bless them, God. And again, bless us now. Speak to our hearts this morning, please. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm reading from the New King James Version this morning. And if you're looking at another translation, then... Uh, the start of verse 20 in my Bible may be different than in your Bible. Uh, the New American Standard Bible, which Matthew preaches from, uh, starts with these words, and he, that is Jesus, and he came home. In the New International Version, the English Standard Version, and others, verse 20 starts similarly. It starts with Jesus Coming home, But those words are found in verse 19 in my Bible. And in uh, other translations that are much older, it's uh, the same case. Verse 19 contains the words, and Jesus came home. Verse 19, it's important that I go back to verse 19, because it introduces the passage I'm preaching from today in verse 20 through 30. So verse 19 in my Bible says this. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. So Mark's a good writer. And in a matter of only a few sentences, he reveals the breadth of opposition against Jesus. That begins here in verse 19 and continues... Through verse 22. Matthew preached from uh, that section uh, last week about Jesus calling his disciples. And in verses 14 and 15, it says Jesus appointed 12 men to be his disciples for a threefold purpose. In verse 14, that they might be with him, he wanted to pour into them. Verse 14 again, that they might preach about him. And then verse 15, that they might have the power to heal the sick and cast out demons. And then in verses 16 through 19, Mark identifies these 12 men. Uh, the last of whom is Judas Iscariot, about whom Paul writes, who also betrayed him. Mark ends one section 
verses 16 through 19, by introducing the next sentence, that phrase, who also betrayed him, is important because it introduces this next section. Mark wants you to know that one of Jesus' own, one of his closest associates, one of the chosen twelve opposed him. But the opposition against Jesus doesn't end there. The Bible says at the end of verse 19 in my Bible, and they, that is Jesus and the twelve disciples who are mentioned in verses 16 to 19, went into a house, and the next two verses say this. Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So Jesus and his disciples enter this home. Uh, This is probably the home that we've referred to in the past, this home in uh, Capernaum that belonged to Peter's family that Jesus has been using in Capernaum as a headquarters And his popularity continues. And if you remember at the start of chapter 2, Matthew preached uh, a message about uh, uh, a home that was packed with people. People were trying to get to Jesus uh, because they wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to be healed. They wanted something from him. His popularity was widespread. And a group of men, four men, carried a friend of theirs on a pallet. His friend was paralyzed. They wanted to get him to Jesus, but they couldn't get to him through the doorway because it was so crowded in the home. So they end up carrying him to the roof and dropping this paralytic man down to Jesus to be healed. This home, here in chapter 3 that we're talking about, is probably that same home. It's happening again. And his popularity continues. People continue to want to be near Jesus. Mark doesn't say why people are crowding in this home in this instance. But it's obvious they want to be near to him. Again, maybe they want to hear him teach. Maybe they want something from him, healing or something. Roof has been patched. People are crowded in. They want to get to Jesus. Mark says there are so many people there that Jesus and his disciples were unable to even eat. That's probably due to the demands on him and on his disciples. Verse 21 says, But when his own people heard about this, his own people. That could refer to friends. It could uh, refer to uh, associates of Jesus. But more likely, it refers to Jesus family. As a matter of fact, I'm personally convinced this is referring to Jesus' family. His own people is talking about his mother and his brothers, 
because if you get to the end of the chapter, chapter 3, verses 31 to 35, where Matthew will be next week, it's his mother and his brothers who show up, and they want to get to Jesus. There's a reason for that. They want to take hold of him. But when his own family, his, pardon me, when his own people, his family, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. They've been hearing stories and they're becoming concerned. They're becoming concerned for Jesus. The Bible makes clear in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, misunderstood him. The Bible says in John chapter 7 that his brothers did not believe in him. All of that changes after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1 where it says Mary and Jesus' brothers are among the first Christians in the early church. But here, here in Mark chapter 3, Mary is still in the misunderstanding stage. And his brothers are still in the disbelieving stage. And based on the information they're hearing, they went to lay hold of him. They didn't go just to ask politely for Jesus to return home with them. Jesus, come on, let's go. They went to lay hold of him. That's the same word Mark uses in Mark chapter 14 when it refers to Jesus' arrest. They wanted to take him by force. Why? Have I ever talked to you about ten codes? Have I ever talked to you about police ten codes? Police officers talk in a particular language. I have a bad habit of still doing this. My son can attest at home. Police officers talk in a different language over the radio. Now, uh, uh, in the advent of incident command and control, there was a push to have police officers at, at uh, wide-scale events, big events, talk in common language over the radio because you can get people from different agencies coming. Or you can get firefighters and EMS and even police officers from outside agencies, maybe even federal officers coming in. They may not understand the 10 codes you use. So there was a push for common language after 9-11. But two and a half years ago, when I left home, and I'm certain still today, when it comes to regular calls for service, Ten codes are still used today. And they run from zero to 99. Some are obscure. Some are rarely used. Some are used every day and often. I'm going to teach you one. But here's the deal. You cannot use it about your husband or your wife. Ever. All right? You ready? 1096. 1096. If I say 1096, I mean I'm dealing with a mental subject or a crazy person. 
That's what 1096 means. 1096. Blair knows. I've used it. Not about her. She knows what it means. So why do I share that with you? Why do I share 1096 with you? Because Jesus' family seriously believed he was 1096. They believed he was out of his mind. Again, verse 21. But when his own people, that is his family, heard about this, heard about what was going on with Jesus, that large numbers of people were following him, they were becoming concerned, they went to lay hold of him by force, for they said, he is 1096. He's out of his mind. You know how pastors say, if you forget everything I said this morning, remember this? That doesn't refer to 1096. Please, please remember something I say this morning other than 1096 because I know you're going to remember that. I know you're going to remember that. Opposition. Opposition to Jesus' ministry came from Judas Iscariot. It also came from his own family. And it came from the scribes, as we find in verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. I'm going to talk about this more, but I want to pause here uh, to make an important point. Uh, Hear me on this. Jesus was opposed by a man in his inner circle, one of the twelve. He was opposed by his mother, by his brothers. And that word opposed may sound heavy or harsh when applying it to uh, his mom, to his family, Uh, But if their intention is to remove Jesus from the ministry, by force, even if it's because of misunderstanding, that is opposition. And he was opposed by the religious leaders of the day. But Jesus never wavered from his mission, even in the face of such opposition. Ever. He never wavered. Praise the Lord. And when it comes to facing opposition to our faith, from family, from friends, even from our nation, may we never waver either. In the Gospel of uh, Matthew, chapter 12, a blind man And mute was brought to Jesus. He's possessed by a demon. He cannot see. He cannot speak. This man is brought to Jesus, and Jesus casts out that demon and heals the man, so he's now able to see. He's able to speak. This is what prompts the Beelzebub comment by the scribes. Matthew attributes that to the Pharisees, But remember, the scribes and the Pharisees are joined at the hip, okay? They're allies with one another. So they're both involved here. They're the religious leaders of the day. 
Listen to the response of the people in Matthew 12 versus the response of the people versus the response of the scribes and the Pharisees. Verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and mute man could both speak and see. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Two things. Two things I want you to notice here. First is the contrast between the response of the people and the response of the scribes and Pharisees. The people were amazed and wondered Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one who was promised in the Old Testament? Could this be him? Could Jesus be that one? But the religious leaders have a completely different take. Based on what the Bible says here in these verses in Matthew, it appears that the religious leaders weren't present when this miracle took place, but they heard about it. And when they heard about it, instead of asking questions like, could this be the Messiah? They declared that Jesus was in league with Satan. Polar opposite responses. Second thing to notice, and most important, Their reaction to Jesus casting out demons. Listen again to how Mark says it. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Do you hear it? Do you hear that? They don't question Jesus' power to cast out demons. They admit that's happening. This is actually happening. He is casting out demons. They just refuse to attribute it to God and the Holy Spirit through Christ working in him. They don't want to believe he's the Messiah. So they attribute it to the power of Satan working in him. Truth doesn't matter here to the scribes and Pharisees. They accuse him of casting demons out by the power of Satan. So if you were to conduct a detailed study of this passage and come across the name uh, Beelzebub, uh, you'd find a lot of information Uh, You find out what the name means. You read about whether this is a uh, misspelling by the translators and that actually it may mean something else. There's a lot there. We don't have time to go into all of that. Uh, Just understand that by associating Jesus with Beelzebub, they're accusing him of being in partnership with Satan. So remember what I said. The scribes weren't present when Jesus healed the blind and mute man who had been possessed by a demon. And they're also uh, not saying to Jesus' face that he's 
casting out demons by the power of Satan. So Jesus takes the initiative. Look what Mark writes in verse 23. So he called them to himself. What they're saying needs to be addressed. And Jesus wants to address it face to face. We have a lot to talk about. And as he starts talking, he begins with parables. He speaks in parables, the Bible says. And he starts out with a question. How can Satan cast out Satan? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that Satan is a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. Satan's goal is to devour people. Literally, that Greek word translated devour means to drink down. Satan not only wants to bring people to his side, he wants to swallow them up so that they have no hope at all. He does that through deception. He does it through demonic possession. He does it through appealing to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So if that is his goal, why then would he sabotage himself and free people from his grasp? Their argument makes no sense. Jesus continues, verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. Abraham Lincoln is known for some great speeches. One that's not as well known, although maybe you've heard a brief portion of it. is one that he quotes... Uh, out of Mark chapter 3. This is from a speech in 1858. Abraham Lincoln was running for the United States Senate in the state of Illinois. This is what he said in that speech. We are now far into the fifth year since a policy was initiated with the avowed object and confident promise of putting an end to slavery agitation. Under the operation of that policy, that agitation has not only not ceased, but has constantly augmented. In my opinion, it will not cease until a crisis shall have been reached and passed. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. And the speech continues. The strength of a nation is in its unity, not in its division. A kingdom becomes Half as strong when it's divided. 
a house that is divided cannot stand. Lincoln was hammered by his opponent when he gave the speech. And he ended up losing that race for the United States Senate that year. But some people believe, although it may have been this speech that lost the Senate race, it's the one that propelled him to a win in the presidential race two years later. Jesus' point in saying this is Satan is not going to fight himself. He would come to an end if that were to happen. Oh, but believe it, Satan will come to an end. Hear these words, verse 27. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. I love this verse. I love this verse. And as as I was preparing for the message this week, and I come across this verse, and I'm uh, digging into uh, what Jesus is saying here, this scene from a movie called Billy Jack came to mind. Anybody seen it? A couple. Okay, a couple. There are several. There there are many in the 9 o'clock service. A couple have seen it. All right, in the interest of full disclosure, I think I was nine years old when this movie came out. I never saw it when I was a kid. When my friends were seeing movies, movies like Billy Jack and Jaws, I was still seeing Disney movies. I'm not embarrassed by that. My parents didn't allow us to see a PG-rated movie till I was 13 years old. I thank my mom and dad for that. I'm thankful for their protection of me and my brothers. And I mean that sincerely. Blair and I were the same way with our kids with no apology. But this movie, Billy Jack, is rated PG. I never would have been able to see it at the time. Billy Jack is a a Native American. He comes home from Vietnam, and uh, he comes up against some bad guys. And in this particular scene, seriously, I... this scene just popped into my head as I was preparing, uh, reading through this verse. In this particular scene, uh, Billy Jack's talking to the main protagonist, the main bad guy. And he has martial arts skills. This movie is a Western, by the way. Uh, he has martial arts skills. And uh, I, I'm going off a of memory of what... I I just remember, after my friends saw this movie, they talked about this scene and what Billy Jack said. And they all all thought it was great. This is what Billy Jack said to the bad guy. After they're having this conversation, he says, I'm going to put this foot right here against your face right there. You're not going to do a thing about it. And the guy goes down. Listen. The battle against Jesus, between Jesus and Satan, is real. It is real. Jesus says here in verse 27, No one's trying to take on Satan and his kingdom from the inside, but I will take it on from the outside. Satan is the strong man in verse 27. 
But Jesus says, I'm stronger. I am stronger. Not only that, he says, I can enter Satan's domain. I can tie him up. I can plunder his goods. And he can't do a thing about it. And he will come to an end. The same Jesus who spoke these words is the Jesus that died on the cross for you. Satan is defeated. Final three verses in our passage this morning address what is commonly known as the unpardonable sin. This is what the Bible says. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. So let's just pick these verses apart. Just uh, in our last few minutes together, let's pick these verses apart. That word assuredly is the Greek word amen. Yes, that, amen. It means here is truth, so pay attention. Jesus is getting their attention. Amen. Boom, all eyes on Jesus. I'm getting ready to tell you some truth. Listen up. All sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemies they may utter. This is a truth that is affirmed throughout the Bible. The Bible affirms this. Numbers 14.18 The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. Forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion. Psalm 86.5 You, Lord, are forgiving and good. Abounding in love to all who call to you. Micah 7.18, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, forgiving sin. Pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. And a promise to the Christian, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Jesus says in verse 29, He who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. That eternal condemnation is eternal guilt. He is guilty forever. Whew. This is new. This is new. The unpardonable sin, a sin that can't be forgiven, I know there are people in this room who fear they have committed the unpardonable sin. I know that. I know that for a fact. Let me put your mind at ease. No matter the sin, no matter the sin, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, if you believe he took your sins upon himself and carried those sins to the cross with him, 
you believe he died on that cross, yet God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you are saved. Rest in that, Christian. Rest in that. Don't be anxious over anything else that you hear or think. Satan wants that. He wants you to worry. By the way, if any of this that I just said sounds new to you, see me after the service. There is nothing more important than your knowing where you're going to spend eternity when you die. If this is new to you, please, I want to talk to you today. So let's wrap this up. What is the unpardonable sin? Verse 29 says it has to do with blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Verse 30 gives an example of what that means. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. The scribes and Pharisees were attributing Jesus' miracles, which were empowered by the Holy Spirit working through him. They were attributing those miracles and that power to Satan. There are some commentators who say the unpardonable sin cannot be duplicated today. It could only be duplicated, it could only happen in Jesus' lifetime. Only during his earthly ministry could this have occurred. And that may be true. It may be true. I'm not convinced it's fully true. Because that would take away the fact that the Holy Spirit remains at work in the world today in the hearts and lives of believers, through the lives of believers. And I think it's possible that someone could blaspheme, revile, slander the Holy Spirit as a result of that, because the Holy Spirit remains at work. This is important. Remember this. The unpardonable sin is not a one-time occurrence. Look at that verse up there. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Because they said, literally, because they said, is actually because they kept on saying. This is a repeated action. It's over and over again until you develop that hardened heart that refuses, even in the face of, of, of complete and total evidence to the contrary, you, you refuse to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And you reject him and the work of the Spirit in and through him and in the world. I like what David Jeremiah writes about this. I'm going to end with this. Dr. David Jeremiah said, Although blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is often called the unpardonable sin, it might be more accurately called the unrepentable sin. Only those whose hearts are so hardened that they label light darkness and call good evil can commit it. And they have no desire to repent. Those who worry that they may have committed such a sin could not have. So put your minds at ease, dear church.
and rest in the palm of God's hand. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Matthew will finish up the chapter next week. Lord, again, thank you for your word. And thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he never wavered in the face of opposition. Oh God, may we have the strength to stand firm and not waver in our faith. Thank you too for the promise of Scripture. You are faithful to your word. You are a forgiving God to anyone who comes to you. Seeking grace, you give it freely. Thank you, God, for that. And I pray now for your blessing upon the people here today. God, if there is one who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, may today be the day. Give them the courage to see me after the service. Bless, Lord, as we lift our voices to you now. Bless in Jesus' name. Amen.